Let's dive into 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter 4. No, I'm sorry. 2 Peter 2 today. We're going to do 4 through 10. Uh, but we're going to read 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 first to get back into the flow of the text. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Uh, it's interesting he uses a different word between false prophets and false teachers who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, denying the master who bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. We looked at this last week. Yeah, last week. I can actually use that word. Uh, we looked at this last week. We talked about the false teachers and the false prophets and various things about that. But this is the, the, the launching point for chapter two, right? To discuss these false teachers and false prophets. And there's going to be three sections in chapter two. Uh, we're going to look at a comparison of what God does with teachers versus what false teachers versus what he does with his people. Then we're going to look at some of the qualities of these false teachers in 11 through 16. And then we're going to look at uh, an interesting section in 17 through 22. I don't really have a pithy recap for it, but well, so he's got these three different sections talking about false teachers in uh, chapter 2 of 2 Peter. Uh, so this brings us into our first section. In 2 Peter, we'll read the whole text and then we'll break it down. 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. Uh, so let's read the whole text and then we'll break it down uh, by parts. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the, day of uh, until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to the extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for that as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. So this is going back to the part, the verse three here, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And again, he's talking, he's making a, a, He's talking about things that happened in the past, of course, to make an application for how, what's going to happen now in, in the church age, right? So it, he did say in Second Peter 2, 1, for false prophets also arose among the people, thinking about fat, past tense, right? Things that happened in the past. But he's going to then, of course, turn that around and make the application for today. So the, the, the phrasing that is interesting in this text, the repeated phrasing over and over, is that for if God, right? Excuse me, for if God, and then he talks about some things that God did. For if God did X, for if God did Y, for if God did Z, then what? What does that mean for us? That's the, the construction of this uh, particular set of verses. So we see what? For if God, oops, that's not there, did not spare angels. Now, we talked a little bit about this. Oh man, when did we talk about that? It was in our discussion of First Peter. I don't remember, but I'll link I'll link to the video in the description of this video. 
if God did not spare angels, what is that talking about? Well, perhaps Genesis 6, I, I postulate it's, it might be referring to Genesis 6, but of course we don't know that for sure. Might be referring to Revelation 12. Of course, we got the war in heaven and there's a debate about whether or not, when did that exactly, when did the thing that John saw in Revelation 12, when did that happen? Uh, did it happen at the beginning of time? Did it happen at the cross? Is it something that he's looking forward to in the future? I don't think it's looking forward in the future necessarily, but when exactly did that happen? Maybe this is what that's referring to. Uh, again, potentially Genesis 6, but the point is more that's not the point, right? The point is not the nitty-gritty details of when this happened. Rather, the point is what? Let's put this back up there. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now, it's, it's intriguing to me. Uh, I think I can do this. This word hell right here. This is a unique word in the New Testament. Uh, not not the word hell. Of course, the, the English word is not unique. It's all over the place. But this specific Greek word is different than the usual Greek words that are used to describe hell. Uh, this is, of course, Tartarus, uh, the Greek word Tartarus, which, again, had a different connotation in the Greek world. We don't need to get into it exactly. But what's the point? Angels who are spiritual beings who perhaps at the beginning were, were created by God for these angelic, specific, supernatural purposes. But then, of course, they sinned, they rebelled. And what did he do? He cast them into chains. He, he kept them in chains until judgment. He's imprisoned them. And what's the point? If God did that to angels, what's he going to do to people, right? What's he going to do to us? And, and if he's willing to do that to angels who have... And, and maybe the point is... They have such power. They have such might. They're so much more capable than humans. And if he was able to do that to them, what is he going to do? be able to do to us? Right? So maybe that's the point of what he's talking about. But again, this idea of if God did that, then what is he going to do now? Uh, the second thing, for if, God did, for if God did not spare the ancient world, this is clearly from Genesis 6, the story of the flood, right? He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. And we know, of course, in Genesis 6, he looks upon his creation and, and uh, all the thoughts of men are always evil continuously, except for Noah and his family. And what does he do? He destroys the whole world. Quite a drastic response, really. But again, the point that Peter's making, if he did not spare, if he, if he destroyed that whole civilization, but he spared Noah, and now we're getting into the more specific details for us. Okay, well, if he has the power to, just, to keep angels under chains, and if he wasn't willing to let their sin go, and if he has the power to destroy the ancient world and was willing to destroy an entire civilization because of sin... But if he was able to spare the righteous when that destruction happened, we're building the idea that he's getting at in the text. The third thing, if for if God turned Sodom and Gomorrah to ash. Now, this is from Genesis 18 and 19. And again, we see a similar thing with the story of Noah. Okay, Two whole cities full of unrighteousness, full of wickedness, full of, of bad behavior. And he destroys the whole... But what? He does spare Lot and his family. Of course, we know what happens with Lot's wife. But that, of course, is they were warned against that. And he did. she did it anyway. Uh, but if he was willing to spare, to rescue Lot. Now, I'm going to put this text back up because I think it's there's a couple of interesting things about uh, specifically what happened with Lot. 
And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now, this is an interesting text. We know Lot was not necessarily the best guy. He was obviously righteous in some way because Peter talks about him as righteous. But he was tormenting his soul over what he saw. We, as, as a greater narrative theme of first and second Peter is our response to living amidst a sinful, unrighteous world, right? Is, is how we respond to the sin around us, how we think about the sin around us. If we amalgamate, or not amalgamate, assimilate, that's the word. If we assimilate into the, the, the behavior of the world, or do we keep ourselves separate, keep ourselves pure? And I don't think it's a coincidence. He chooses Noah, who is the only righteous dude, in the, well, not the only one, because he had his family, but was one of very few righteous people in the whole world at the time. And then he picks Lot, who's the only righteous family in that those two cities at the time, who had obviously left, kept themselves separate from the sins of the world. And I think we see an interesting attitude. He was tormenting his soul over their lawless deeds. How do we think about sin? How do we think about unrighteousness? What, what sort of attitude do we have about that? That's the question, right? Uh, but that, again, that's not the, necessarily the point of the text. Uh, we, we can put all three up here and we see the similar theme, right? For if God did not spare angels, if he did not spare the ancient world, if he uh, turned Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, but he rescued Noah and Lot, if what? Well, then what does he say in the text? Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly for, or the, rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. If God did those things, then this is the point. Clearly, God knows how to separate the godly from the ungodly in punishment and justice. God knows how to punish the wicked. We know because he's done it time and time and time and time again. And even in, in times where there were vast swaths of unrighteous people, he was very intentional and specific about separating out the godly from that punishment, right? This is the habit. This is the, the pattern of behavior we see with God. And if he's able to do that back then with all those different situations, then of course he can do that today too. So when we go to Second Peter 2, one through three, those first verses in the in the chapter, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. What's the point? God knows how to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And even if there are people who are doing unrighteous things, if there are unrighteous, ungodly people in our assembly, in our fellowship, which is what he's talking about, right? Is, is they're, they're secretly bringing in destructive heresies. Even if there are such people in our group, God knows how to keep them separate in judgment, right? He's not going to do this sort of group punishment for the world. He's going to separate those who are righteous from unrighteous. Gwen is very sad. So when we think about our behavior in our specific circumstance, in our context, what's the point? Don't, you don't have to worry about anybody else when in regards to judgment. Worry about yourself. God did spare Noah and Lot who were righteous and kept themselves pure and kept themselves from the sins of the world. Do the same. Be very concerned about your own righteousness. How are you 
obeying God's commands? How are you in a relationship with God? How are you keeping yourself from false teaching or false ideas or, or, or un, untrue things? Because he's going to separate in judgment. Right now it's messy. It gets messy and there's groups of people and we have friends and we have the, the assembly and we have the congregation and, and certain people maybe are not doing right things and certain people are and there's this gradient, right? This scale. Some people are doing a lot of unrighteous things. Some people are just doing some and it's hidden and, and it's a little bit messy and, and complicated and, and we still have to relate to people and we still try to help people and we still try to teach people. But at the end of the day, worry about yourself and your family. If you're, you think about, I, I do think it's interesting when we talk about Lot and Noah, those who were the heads of household, who ended up sparing or saving their whole families because of their righteousness, because of the way they lived. Worry about your own behavior and whether or not you are following the truth. Because in the end, God's going to, we know, and, and that's the point, I'll put it back up there on the text one more time on the screen. We know that the Lord knows how to rescue the ungod or rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteousness under punishment until the day of judgment. A day that, again, as we wrap up this video, a day that we don't know when it's coming. Right? Could be today. Could be later today at 3 p.m. Judgment is coming. Or you think about individuals, your time could come at any moment. You could be going to the store and, and somebody's brakes fail and you get T-boned at an intersection. That's a thing that could happen. Not, not necessarily that it will, but that's why we need to be so concerned about making sure that we're doing righteous things and living the way that God wants us to live. Let's end in a prayer. God, we thank you for the examples that you've given us in Scripture that remind us that you know how to separate those who are godly from ungodly, that you're not unjust in your administering of judgment. God, help us to fall into that category of those who will be spared and rescued, to be faithfully living for you every day, knowing that you might return at any moment. God, we ask you, please be with those who are suffering under this virus right now. Several families that we know are personally connected to that are, that are under a great weight of pain, please comfort them and give them peace and strength. Be with those who are working on a treatment or a vaccine. Give them, give them insight into the things that they're studying so that they might develop that so we can return to some normalcy in regular life. We love you. We thank you for the blessings you give us every day. In Jesus' name, amen.